welcome back to Gentle Man, redefining manhood in the 21st century. My name is Arjuna. I'm your host. Hey there, I got another walking podcast for you. And today's topic is the role that peer pressure and modeling plays in the perpetuation of male violence. Uh, in this episode, I'll also be going over some of my own experiences of violence in my childhood. Uh, so trigger warning, lots of violence talk today. Hope you enjoy the episode. What is the difference in the way that men are raised, which predisposes them to violence? There's a whole nature-nurture conversation that can go on here, and I don't really have any comment on that. And I also think that the nature part of it is, I think it's, it's always dubious to make qualifications about things based on nature. Studies discover new things all the time. People have often used scientific explanations to support their own biases, when oftentimes, in retrospect, the use of science was very dubious, right? So I don't really want to go into the nature side of it. But the nurture side of it, I think there's a lot to discover on the nurture side of it. And one of the experiences that I, you know, growing up as a man, I was subjected to an incredible amount of violence. For all of the men listening to this, I think I'm sure a vast majority of you, if not all of you, will be able to sympathize with some of what I'm talking about. So being raised male is really an exercise in punishment and violence. I remember even from a young age being bullied, beaten up by my older brother. It's common in sibling relationships. And I'll also say that this is one place in which you'll often see kids in general are kind of predisposed to some kind of violence, right? So I don't think it's just young boys who get it. But I think where you really start to see the difference is outside of the home and in other places. Boys continue to be socialized to be violent, whereas women are socialized to become nice and polite and to not lay hands on people or act in belligerent ways. And so what you start to see is that you go to school and often it's the boys who end up getting in fights. This was just, you know, throughout my entire, my entire upbringing, you know, I've been in more fights than I can remember. And it was just a normal, it was, it was a daily part of my life as a young boy getting in a fight. I remember I'd go to family gatherings, you know, with other family friends. And if there was like another spirited boy at the gathering, we'd almost always end up in a fight at some point, right? We'd, we were both like strong-headed young kids and, you know, we'd get in an argument about something or we'd both want to play with the same toy and we'd end up fighting, you know, rolling around on the ground, biting, scratching, hitting each other, wrestling. This was just very common. This was an everyday, like I said, an everyday part of my existence. And I remember when I moved to the U.S., you know, I was, a, I was an outsider. I was an immigrant. And that added an extra layer of otherness and challenge to my life. This is when I was six years old. And so I got bullied for this at school. When you're getting bullied and picked on, people are usually looking for 
opportunities to corner you or get you alone. That's when their power over you is the strongest, is when you're unsupervised and one-on-one. -on -one. So it was such a common experience for me of getting cornered by some kid around the back of the school, or maybe I'd wandered off the playground and, you know, I even remember like kids from a neighboring school coming and picking on me. And it almost always ended in violence. I was very used to it. I was very used to kicking and punching. I was quite savage. I was a, I was a pretty savage child. There were a number of people that I hurt pretty badly. I grew up in you know, rough neighborhoods. I grew up in London, not a very nice neighborhood in London. So this, this idea of fighting was, was just very normal for me. At the time, I didn't really think much on it. I didn't think about how profoundly the experience of being involved in physical violence on a regular basis affects a person. The effect on the nervous system, the effect on the psyche, the effect on a person's feeling of safety, okayness, ability to express themselves without fear. Your whole outlook on life is really changed when you're constantly subjected to violence. And I, I remember this about myself. I was very high strung. If a situation was escalating, I was likely, if I felt pushed hard enough, I was likely to fight somebody. And it's interesting. I remember when it changed for me. I was in, I think I was in seventh grade. This shift happened. So I remember being in sixth grade. So this was probably, you know, in the US, this was probably when I was 11, maybe. I remember there was a kid who was picking on me at school and he'd run up and, you know, he'd try to push me against a wall or whatever. And he wasn't being super aggressive. I, I think his ultimate goal was to be kind of playful. So I kind of tolerated it and I played along for a while, but he kept doing it. And I felt like he was starting to feel like it was a dynamic where he felt comfortable picking on me. And even though it was couched in this veneer of play, it was actually, there was something more aggressive that was going on. And so one day I just had enough. And this guy was like horsing around with me and I was just really fed up. So I grabbed him by the shoulders and I slammed his head into a tree. It was a really violent thing to do. I was just really frustrated. And the moment I did that, it was like the whole vibe changed. It was like, whoa, this escalated, right? I took it to a new level. I took it to a new place. And it kind of broke the spell. I think for both of us, really, I think for him, it was kind of like, whoa, I'm not, you know, I'm not into this. I don't actually want to fight this person. And he backed off. But for me, it was also this feeling of, whoa, that was, that was really savage what I just did. Up until that point, I'd, I'd never really had a self-awareness about that, about my survival, my feeling of having to take care of myself and survive. And I, I had to look at myself. And it, you know, it didn't happen. I, wasn't, I didn't go home and stare into the mirror and dialogue. Or I didn't write in my diary or whatever. It wasn't wasn't that conscious yet, but, but I think something in my subconscious kind of clicked and made me think, whoa, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this way. So I remember being in seventh grade in the same school and I had another altercation. I was in the locker room, which is where so much male violence happens. Locker rooms are just kind of a, it's like a minefield, really. Locker rooms are just minefields of potential issues. 
and violent male behaviors and bullying and stuff like that. It's really horrible, actually. I never felt good in those environments, and I'm really glad that I don't have to be in that kind of an environment anymore. So I was in this locker room, and these kids were horsing around, and they started ganging up on a friend of mine. It felt unjust, so I just kind of stepped in, and I, I really wasn't trying to start a fight, but I just kind of shoved someone, and he was halfway out of getting out of his gym shorts. So he staggered over and he fell on the floor. So, you know, he felt like I had escalated it when I, I hadn't really been intending to. I was just trying to help my friend. I didn't really mean to push him over. So anyway, he, he got up and he was all mad. And he came at me and he decked me right in the face above my left eye. I remember it was, it was almost like slow motion. It was like my head kind of whiplashed back and I stayed on my feet and I was kind of disoriented for a second. I looked over at him and I could tell it, he was kind of like, whoa, I just punched that guy, what's gonna happen? We both kind of looked at each other and blinked and it was like this tacit understanding, we don't actually wanna do this. We don't actually wanna get in a fight right now. And so I just backed off uh, and so did he and we didn't continue, there, was, there wasn't a beef between us, we just kind of avoided each other after that. That was the moment at which I realized that I wasn't doing that anymore. That wasn't going to be my MO, it wasn't going to be the way that I comported myself. But that's not where it ended. You know, I went back to London the next year, my family moved back, and I went to what was at the time famously referred to as the second worst school in London. And I witnessed some truly horrendous stuff happening there. Uh, and I think by the end of my two years there, I was maybe the only boy in my class who hadn't gotten into a big fight, which I was proud of, but it was also two years of continually getting hounded and bullied and punched. I remember I'd come home from school every day and I would have bruises all over my shoulders and my back, my ribs. Kids would just come up every day and just punch you on the shoulder, shove you around, slam you into a wall, stuff like that. At that point, you know, I'd kind of, I'd switched over, I'd crossed that precipice and I just couldn't do it anymore. It was like all the fight had gone out of me. So my survival approach was I just took it. As the Londoners would say, I firmed it. That's when you take a punch and it's kind of like showing that you're just tough enough to take it and you don't have to fight back. Some kids also called me the alien because they felt like I could just take pain and not have to do anything about it. So it was kind of perturbing for some kids and eventually people kind of left me alone because they knew that it just wasn't going to go anywhere. And it's not that I didn't feel any pain, but I was at that time in my life, I was kind of numbed out. I think unconsciously there was a part of myself that said, look, the way that we're going to get through this is we're just going to, we're going to numb. That's a trauma response is what that is. You know, when your body says, look, we're, we're defeated or we're in a situation and we can't get out of it, we're just going to dull the pain so it's not so difficult so it's not so excruciating in every moment that's what my psyche did and in a lot of ways i was very dissociated i displayed dissociative behavior i remember one time my sister came into my bedroom and i was playing my computer and she said hey what's up with you i've been calling your name for like minutes across the house and you haven't been responding what's going on and i was like i don't know sorry I've been somewhere else. I've been in my own little wonderland. That was my survival approach. 
that was really a time in my life where every day was just a struggle to really survive, like on a physical level. The reason I'm unpacking this, right, is that I think it's so common, it's so common for men to, boys really, to go to school, they end up horsing around on the playground. Someone, you know, gets hit, right? Eventually something escalates, someone punches someone else or shoves someone into something or, you know, some kind of act of escalated violence that actually hurts someone ends up happening. And then there's tears and the teacher has to get involved or the playground monitor has to get involved or whatever. But it's just such a common occurrence and I think people think of it as child's play. Or this phrase, boys will be boys, which I hate, which everyone hates. It's this dismissive way of basically excusing poor behavior, right? Whether it's sexual harassment or sexual assault, whether it's violence, vandalism, ultimately sociopathic behavior, often gets written off as just boys being boys. And what happened to me was that when I stopped to actually think about it, and when I stopped to see how that felt in my body and to re-examine what my experience had been like, it made me realize how difficult all of those experiences had been and how painful they had been. And then I started thinking about other boys and other men who have also gone through this, and some of them have gone through even worse. But regardless of the scale and regardless of the pain it's felt, is this kind of shared legacy of male-on-male -male violence, is violence instigated by men. And what you see in a lot of male circles is that you'll have one or a couple of boys, or maybe teenagers, even grown men, who they have this, this alpha energy, right? I mean, I hate using that word. I, I don't really believe in the whole alpha-beta paradigm, but it's that kind of dominant telling other people how it is, vibe and um, there's a lot of pushing around, there's a lot of peer pressuring. And so you'll get like this one or this group of boys who feel like they have agency to, to boss other boys around and to encourage them into these behavioral patterns. They're constantly horsing around, they're hitting each other, encouraging other boys to join in the behavior. And I think a lot of it is spread that way. A lot of it is spread through peer pressure. A lot of it is spread through keeping up, right? There's this feeling of like, if I want to hang out with those guys, I have to be as vulgar as they are. I have to be as violent as they are. I have to be as misogynistic as they are. Otherwise, they'll call me a pussy or they'll call me a fag. And I'll feel demeaned, I'll feel bad, and I also won't feel like I'm getting acceptance from my peers. Or maybe I'll even feel like I'm not keeping up with my peers. You know, like if I'm not doing this stuff, I'm going to get left behind. Ultimately, I'm going to get ostracized. People won't respect me. There's a lot of peer pressure that, you know, women won't respect you unless you behave like an asshole, basically. This kind of grows up into frat boy behavior. It really culminates. It comes to a head when young men go off to college 
and they feel this new sense of agency in the world, this new sense of self-possession, but yet they haven't really had the wisdom of being in the world long enough to have developed compassion. And so you start to see like really, really ugly behavior. Sexual assault is a really big one. Hazing practices, horrible initiation rites. And pretty much in all cases, these initiations are, they're really initiating people into a new level of horrible behavior. That's what they're designed to do. Not enough attention is given to that. That's what I'm really talking about here, is not enough attention is given to that chain of events, to that constellation of behaviors. I'm really glad that there's been a lot more dialogue lately around, for example, male sexual assault on young women, right? That's really, really important. It's really, really important that colleges are in dialogue about male sexual assault. And I want that conversation to also talk about how men inflict that on other men, right? Not necessarily that men are assaulting other men, but that they're responsible for precipitating that behavior in their peers. They're responsible for peer pressuring their, their peers into perpetuating that behavior. So this needs to be unpacked more. We need to talk more about how men treat each other. We need to talk more about how men talk to each other, about how men encourage each other to talk about women, how men encourage each other to talk about anything. It's crucially important. The behavior won't change if the role modeling doesn't change. That's what I want to get across here is that you can take a young man aside and you can tell him, look, you have to be respectful to women. You have to respect people's bodily autonomy. You have to respect consent. Get it together, right? Get with the program. You can do that. But if a man's peers aren't behind that, if a man goes from that to hanging out with his friends and all of his friends are carrying on like they always do, having the same misogynistic conversations, perpetuating the same violence, calling each other the same vulgar names, it's not going to change. The behavior is not going to change. And in order for men to stop doing that, they have to stop wanting to do it. They have to stop aspiring to do it. And the way that you stop that is that you, you stop it being a desirable behavioral trait among your friends. If you're hanging out with a bunch of guys, you know, and you say something sexist, and one of the other guys turns to you and is like, hey man, that's messed up. We don't talk like that among us. That's not cool in our group of friends. Uh, you're not likely to do it again. If someone sets down a rule and they say, look, we don't stand for that here, chances are you're not going to keep doing it. If that's a group of people that you respect and you want to hang out with, you're probably going to change your behavior. Or in the very least, you're going to have a moment of self-examination. You're going to walk away from that experience on some level asking yourself, is this right? Should I be doing this? Is this the kind of man that I want to be? That's the level that the conversation needs to be happening on. That's what I'd like for people to take away from this examination, is that violence is ultimately a learned behavior, just like anything else. And though there are some kind of natural childlike, you know, kids will have these childlike behaviors of grabbing stuff out of each other's hands or shoving each other because they're upset or whatever, you know, and I think that's some very basic programming, but I think that the more sophisticated violence 
and, and ultimately the violence that really hurts, the violence that actually traumatizes people is learned behavior. It's demonstrated behavior. It's behavior from role models. I've only spoken about peer pressure here, but there are whole other layers with older male relatives, for example, fathers, uncles, cousins, or even sometimes male authority figure. Maybe you have a really misogynistic teacher in college, or maybe you watch YouTube videos from some man who's older than you who's spouting off on some bullshit that triggers your amygdala response and arouses you and makes you excited to keep watching his videos. Maybe even the president, right? Maybe even the president of the United States himself comports himself in such a way. I don't have any big conclusion for this. I don't have any huge takeaway, but I just want to finish on saying that that's the level that our conversation about addressing this needs to happen on. That's where the conversation begins and I also think that's where it needs to end, is where is it really being taught? Where is it really being reinforced? That's really the root of it. So in discussion, we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep unpacking it. Thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure making content for you and I will look forward to the next video.